Hello, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of Harvest Church here in Elk Grove. We're excited to have you join us as we share God's message of hope and love. Each week, we bring you a new message from our pastors and guest speakers designed to inspire, uplift your spirits, and challenge you. Whether you're listening on your commute, at home, or on a walk, we hope these messages will bring you closer to God and help you on your faith journey. So without further ado, let's listen in. If you don't mind standing, I'm going to pray over God's word and then I'm going to move into this message. You have some messages that's easy to preach and some that's not so easy. This is a not so easy message, but it's a word for the hour that God has given us. Amen. Father, right now, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would touch your people. Father, I pray that you give them eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to perceive what the spirit of the Lord is saying, that they might turn and be healed. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. And I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be manifested in this place. You've established the words in the heaven, now establish it in our hearts. We love you, we bless you, and we thank you in your son Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Just stand with me uh, as I read these few scriptures, and then I'll have you be seated. It says this, the title of this message is called The Good Shepherd. And in Luke chapter 22 and verse 24, it says, And the dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. But Jesus said to them, speaking of his disciples, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who execute authority over them call themselves benefactors. He said, But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you shall be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. But who is the greatest, the greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? And Jesus said, is not the one who is at the table greater? But he said to them, but I am among you as one who serves. Amen. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. Amen. You may be seated. God is good, isn't he? Hallelujah. Once again, the title of this message is called The Good Shepherd Servant. The Good Shepherd Servant. I want to talk to you about some paradigms from the Word of God and the kingdom of God that he's given us that's so much different than the world. Jesus tells us that servanthood is the highest level in the kingdom of God, the highest level that any of us can reach in the kingdom of God according to how Jesus designed the kingdom is for us to be servants. It's not the highest level. It's not pastor or prophet. It's not teacher or evangelist. It's not um, a worship leader. It's not usher, leader, or greeter. The highest level in the kingdom of God according to Jesus is the level of servant. The world tries to convince us that greatness comes based upon status, recognition, fame, or success. But Jesus is clear that true greatness is found in servanthood. Amen? Amen. Jesus said, the greatest of you shall be the least, and the person in the front who talks the loudest is not the greatest. Look at your neighbor and say, the one flapping their gums is not the greatest. That's the people up the street because I know none of you flap your gums too much. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hey. (laughs) But the one behind the scenes serving quietly is the greatest in the eyes of God. 
See, in Israel, they made a huge, huge mistake because they thought that Jesus would come like David as a conqueror on a horse, taking the throne and advancing Israel as a nation. But little did they know that he would come as one with a towel and a wash basin because he wanted them to understand that I do not come as the master, but I come to you as a servant. I come to you modeling the type of behavior that I want to see in the kingdom of God, showing you what the highest level is. However, we live in a world that tells everyone or everyone wants to be like the Steve Jobs or the Jeff Bezos or the LeBron James. I know not everybody here is a LeBron James fan. I've heard it from many of you. But these men represent the highest status in technology, business, and in sports. And they've accomplished things that no one else has accomplished before. In society, we tell everyone, reach this, get to this level, go here do this, accomplish this, and then you'll be successful. And in the world, yes, you will be successful if you do those things. Apple became a trillion-dollar company because of the vision of Steve Jobs. Jeff Bezos changed the way that we shop and around the world. LeBron James became the first billionaire athlete who is still currently playing in the history of sports or in the NBA. However, Jesus did not come with a status symbol or an acknowledgement mark, but he came as a shepherd, a good shepherd, who modeled the type of behavior in the influence he wanted us to have and he wanted us to be servants look at your neighbor and say Jesus wants us to be servants Jesus modeled what we call servant leadership and he called his disciples to model the same type of behavior in their homes in their families in their businesses their schools their jobs and in their churches he wants us no matter where we go to be servant leaders not dictators not like people who have to lord things over others but to come in and to be servant leaders and the world is waiting for servant leaders to arise in every facet of society Amen? A servant leader is a game changer. A servant leader is one who comes alongside and says, how can I serve the people that God has placed me around and how can I be a blessing to those whom God has entrusted me to? Matthew 23, 11 through 12, and this is our primary text for this morning. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servants. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. He was speaking specifically in this context about the Pharisees. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. He's speaking to his disciples. But I want to tell you this morning that we have a very dangerous influence. We have an influence that's countercultural to the influence that Jesus Christ told us we're supposed to have. He wants us to be servant leaders, but a lot of the information and a lot of the dialogue and a lot of what's on social media and television says that we need to follow the influence of the world or what I would call a dangerous influence. 
In the book of Daniel, there's a prophecy in chapter 2, and there's a prophecy in chapter 7 where Daniel has a vision, and he prophesies about four kingdoms, and four kings are rulers. And of these four, these are four of the greatest uh, dynasties in history. They are iconic, and two of them existed during the time of Daniel, the, the dynasty of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and the dynasty of the Medes and the Persians, and the fourth and final one was the Roman Empire that existed during the time of Christ and it was a very powerful influence but it was also a very seductive influence because it was something that people aspired to but they did not have the heart and the spirit of God behind it. In the image that you see behind me, there are four dynasties that's uh, mentioned here. In Daniel chapter 2, you see the dynasty of Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians, which was the greatest dynasty in the history of the world. Then you have one, the second greatest is the Medes and the Persians. Then you have the third, which was Alexander the Great, who was the Greek uh, ruler and dynasty. And the fourth was Julius Caesar, which existed during the time of Christ. And then chapter 2, in chapter 7, Daniel is explaining these visions, talking about these dynasties and the influence that they had on the world because from these dynasties, everyone thought that I must be a ruler, a king. I must have a dynasty. I must be a person who is iconic in status to exist and have meaning and purpose in the world. And then Jesus comes along and he said, the greatest of you is not to be like Nebuchadnezzar or Darius or Alexander the great or Julius Caesar he said the greatest among you is not to model that type of leadership or that type of lifestyle or that type of behavior but the greatest among you is to be a servant amen, amen. Jesus was shifting them from a worldly leadership model of conquerors to the kingdom leadership model of servant leaders he was shifting them from a mindset that said you had to be this to a mindset that says you should be this. He was saying don't be like Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Alexander, Julius Caesar. Instead, I want you to have the characteristics of Abraham, Moses, and David because all three of these men were shepherds by trade and they understood the heart of the Father and what type of people they were supposed to be as leaders. Amen? Amen. I want to give you seven characteristics of historic conquerors that influenced the Pharisees' leadership in Matthew chapter 23 and how that equates to how we operate sometimes and then shift you into the way that Jesus wants us to operate. The first thing that, the, that we see in Matthew chapter 23 is this. The leadership that the community of the Pharisees took on is they sat in the seat of Moses. They sought position of status and they allowed their positions to become a hierarchy of acknowledgement instead of a position of servanthood to God's people. The second thing that they did is they did not practice what they taught. They did not model the behavior they expected of the people. There was great inconsistency. To act like Jesus, let me tell you this, you must be with Jesus. To act like Jesus, you have to be with him and spend time with him. The third thing that they did is they weighed the people down with burdens they themselves were not willing to carry. 
The fourth thing that they did is their acts of service were performed for public acknowledgement instead of sincere service. Can I tell you this? Whenever you do something for Jesus, he would rather you do it silently and do it as a blessing unto people instead of doing it waiting for people to acknowledge you. Pastor, why is that important? That's important because if man acknowledges you for what you do, then you've received your reward already. And I don't know about you. I thank God when people are grateful and thankful for the things that I do. But I want to be able to stand before my Lord. And the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant, because the reward that we are seeking as people of the kingdom of God is not the reward of this world, but it's the reward that is eternal and that will last forever. Hallelujah. Number five. They made their phylacteries wide and they wore long tassels on their clothes to be seen. They sought spiritual recognition. They sought to be recognized spiritually. A phylactery is a thing, a box that they would wear on their head with a leather strap and they would have the scriptures on the inside of it. And the larger the phylactery was, the more spiritual they appeared to be. But let me tell you, when you are spiritual, you don't have to tell people you're spiritual. When you're spiritual, you don't have to. People will know that you're spiritual. Number six, they said in the place of honor at the banquets in the synagogues, they sought personal honor instead of God's glory. Mm. And number seven, they love to be greeted with respect in public places and called by titles. There's nothing wrong with a title, but when your title becomes a badge of honor instead of an opportunity to display the honor of God, there's something wrong with the title. Ooh. (laughs) When your title becomes a badge of honor instead of an opportunity to display God's glory, then there's there's a problem with the title. And it's not about that. It's about how do we bring glory and honor to God in all that he has entrusted to us. Amen. The NIV commentary said this, greatness in the community of the kingdom is much different from that displayed by the religious leadership of Israel. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees have patterned their leadership after the example of worldly rulers whose primary goal is to extend their own power and authority. Our primary goal in the kingdom of God is not our own personal advancement. It should be the advancement of his kingdom and the exaltation of his name and he said if I be lifted up I will draw all people unto myself so our goal is for people to be reached because we have lifted up and exalted him not for us to be seen and recognized for what we do and this is what Jesus modeled This is how he operated. Do you remember the scripture where the people begin to say, Hosanna in the highest, and they begin to say, you know, this is the son of David. This is the one that was prophesied. And they tried to force him to become a king, and he refused to let them make him who he was. He was the king of kings. He was the Lord of lords, but he did not 
come seeking personal acknowledgement and advancement. He sought to seek and save those who were lost, and he knew the best way to do it was to do it as a servant and not as a conqueror and a ruler. <sighs> Look at your neighbor say it's a timing issue. It's a timing issue. In the book of Revelations, Jesus is a conqueror. He is a ruler. The Bible says he is the rider on the white horse, and on his chest and on his thigh are the names faithful and true, and he is coming as a conquering ruler. But he understood that his first coming was not the time to come as a conqueror. His first coming was to come as a servant. His second coming is to come as a conqueror. Amen? And our first dispensation here on the earth as believers in the kingdom of God is to be servants. Those who belong to Jesus and those who will return with our Messiah, we are going to have horses and swords, and we will come back as conquerors when Jesus Christ returns in his second coming. But in this dispensation, time, and era of history, the church, we are to, supposed to be servants to society, and we are to supposed to be servants to each other. Amen? We are not supposed to dominate and rule over and be benefactors like Alexander the Great and Nebuchadnezzar and Julius Caesar, but we are to be like Christ Jesus. We are supposed to be servants to all. We are supposed to take the lower position, and we are to put others before ourselves, not seek what's in it for me, but seek how can I bless you, serve you, come alongside of you, help you, support you, strengthen you. I was so grateful that Pastor Alon and Pastor Shannon came here last week. It was a surprise. My wife didn't know they were coming. But I'm 15, almost 20 years older than them. And the whole time, my job was, God, how can I push the next generation ahead of myself? You know the heart and the spirit of a father? I want them to do more than I've ever done. I want them to be greater than I've ever been. I want them to accomplish more than I've ever accomplished. I want God to use them in a greater way than he's ever used me or my wife. I want them to be more blessed than we've ever been. I try to fast track their process, what took me 20 years. I try to download it and compress it so it only takes them five years. And that's the heart of a servant because a servant always says, how can I help? others do better than I've done and how can I bless and serve others to advance beyond where I've reached Jesus told his disciples greater works than these shall you do he was the Messiah he was raising people from the dead he was performing miracle signs and wonders and yet he told his disciples I don't want you to just reach what I've done but I want you to do more than I've done I want you to accomplish more than I accomplished and he even said I'm gonna go to the Father and I'm gonna ask the Father that whatever you pray for in my name the Father will grant to you why because when you are a servant you put others before yourself and you want to see them advance beyond where you've gone. Oh, it's quiet in this holy place right now. Come on, parents. You should want to see your children and your grandchildren go beyond what you've done. 
Do you know that's a testimony of, your, of their upbringing if they advance beyond where you've gone? That means that you did a good job. If they only reach where you reached, then you failed. Go beyond. Look at your, listen, think next generation. You have to say, you have to go beyond what we've gone. You have to do more than what we've done. You have to achieve and accomplish more than we've achieved. In history, the church went into the dark ages when the next generation failed to achieve what the previous generation accomplished. The church is always supposed to be advancing and going to the next level in every new generation. Whenever a generation fails to bring the next generation to the next level, that generation failed in their assignment. The book of Judges is a book of failure because the generation of Joshua failed to get the next generation into the promised land and the will and the purposes of God like they should have been. Amen? But that's not the legacy of Harvest. That's not the legacy of your household. That's not the legacy of your family. That's not the legacy of your marriage. That's not the legacy of the upbringing of your kids and your grandkids. That's not the legacy that you will leave behind. And I get it. Not all of us have made all the right decisions at the right time in the right way. But can I tell you there's something called repentance and redemption. There's something where you can say, Lord, I have failed. I've made mistakes. I've erred. And in that, the Lord can release forgiveness to you. And God can redeem what has been lost. God can repair what has been broken. God can bless what has been cursed. Amen? I don't know who I'm speaking to, but even as I'm preaching this message, we need to release condemnation and guilt and shame because we may say, well, God, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. God knew you wasn't going to do what you were supposed to do. And yet he still sent the cross. And yet the blood is still able to fix and repair what you messed up. Amen? Don't be so arrogant to think that your mistakes are so great that the power of Jesus cannot fix and repair the damage and the errors that you made. You ain't that bad, amen. You might be bad, but you're not so bad that the power of the blood and the cross cannot fix and repair what you've messed up. Hallelujah. Jesus know that you're thrown off, amen. <laughs> he knew you were going to be crazy and make bad decisions. And yet, look at your neighbor say, and yet. And yet the cross is still more powerful than your mistakes. And yet the blood can cleanse and wash. You and everything ahead of you from all unrighteousness. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Lord. This is the season where God's going to show himself mighty on your behalf. This is the season where God's going to repair the breaches in the wall. 
God took a cupbearer. He didn't take a military leader, a general. He took a man who tasted the king's wine to make sure that it wasn't poison. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, and he sent him to Jerusalem where all of the walls had been broken down, burned, and destroyed. And in 56 days, Nehemiah, with a group of broken, wounded, damaged, and hurt people who were rejected, that did not believe in themselves, that didn't think that anything significant was possible for their lives he sent them back to Jerusalem and he caused them to build a wall because the power of God with a yielded vessel is greater than anything that you can individually accomplish in your own strength and your own abilities come on that should set some people free the Lord is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you ask, you think, or you imagine. God can fix in one year what you've spent a lifetime messing up because his power is greater than your shortcomings. The people of God should be the greatest servants in our marriages our parenting, our jobs, our schools, our churches, and our businesses. We should be the greatest servants wherever God sends us. I want to close with this story. And you've heard me mention this, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's a part of my story. I went to college in, uh, in the mid-90s to play college football. I had the full scholarship, and there was a man named Gerald Long, and he was the director of Christian Athletes. He was actually, by trade, he was a state farm agent, and that's what he did for his day job. But at night, he had a mission field at Northwestern State University, and he was a missionary to our campus campus to the athletes at our university. And this man with his wife, they, he served us and he modeled what it was to be a good husband. He modeled what it was to be a good parent. And he served a renegade community of athletes on a secular campus. We were heathens. We weren't even kind of saved. We were the most heathenistic group that I've ever been in was the athletes on my college campus in the mid nineties. And I look back and I say, God, how did you use this man so greatly? And I finally realized the key. The key was because he was a servant that came to a secular university and he decided to offer up his life in service to Jesus Christ so that these unsaved people could, could come to know the Lord. Amen? And there was an 18-year-old skeptic that was on that campus that watched him that did not believe that Jesus was real or Christianity was real or the church was real. And he doubted everything that this man did. But after the entire year of watching Gerald Long be a servant, not a dictator, not a benefactor, not a conqueror, but be a servant, that 18-year-old kid said, Jesus must be real, this gospel must be real, and he must surrender his life to Jesus Christ. I am that 18-year-old skeptic that turned my life around because I saw servant leadership in operation. At that time, Gerald Long was the single greatest witness of Christ I had ever seen. And to this day, he still remains one of the top five witnesses in my life that I've seen because he was a servant.
He served. He served. In my mind, I said, why is this guy doing this? He's not getting up from this. He's not getting paid to do this. And nothing about us that's spectacular to be around. I had one, curse, one coach that cursed so much, he literally could curse in paragraphs. <laughs> he literally, it was his most amazing thing. He could curse in entire paragraphs. And I'm saying, Mr. Gerald's around this filthy mouth, environment place, derogatory, and yet he was a servant that won. Several of us are in ministry today because this man was a servant and he modeled who and what Jesus Christ is supposed to be to the next generation. Amen. In conclusion, Jesus is the good shepherd. And he's called us to model the behavior of a servant in our homes, families, businesses, schools, jobs, and churches. Servants are a rare but necessary breed, and we are more essential today than we've ever been in history. The world is waiting for the man and the woman with the wash basin and the towel to rise up and to be positioned in the places of society that he's called us to be. Because when we begin to serve, we will win their hearts because they will know that Jesus Christ is real because we're not coming right now in the spirit of conquerors, but we're coming in the spirit of servants modeling what our Lord and our Savior modeled for his disciples then and he continues to model for us now. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. We pray that today's message has touched your heart and encouraged your spirit. We believe that the Word of God has the power to transform our lives and inspire us to be better versions of ourselves. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with your friends and family. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more inspirational messages. Until next time, may the good Lord bless you. And we look forward to seeing you at one of our weekend services and sharing with you once again next week.